This is an interview on Sunday, June 14th, 2020, with Stygian Crown by Nick Perkel. Now, can you give me an introduction on yourself? Uh, my name is Rhett. My last name is Davis. Um, I play drums for Stygian Crown. Awesome. Now, um, how many other bands have you been a part of over the years? Wow. Um... Well, I'd have to actually think about that. Um, I would say established bands with releases and whatnot. Um, see, there was Morgion. There was Crimson Relic. There was King of the Crow. There was um, Gravehill. Um, there were two incarnations of Gravehill, actually. Um, yeah, now Stygian Crown. And, uh, yeah, I think anything else really is not worth noting so yeah now how did uh stitching well, think of at the moment <laughs> yeah now how did stitching crown form well originally um i started the idea of it in 2013 um basically i had an old band that was slotted to do a return and that really didn't work out so um, I decided that since that didn't happen and that I really wanted to kind of fill that gap. So I just decided to try to find people in order to um, form this band. Funny thing is, is that in the beginning of it, um, there was different people involved, um, different ideas. Um, it really didn't really come to fruition until about 2017, 2018, around then is when, like, we really had a solid lineup and then, um, you know, had a, a name for it, had actual songs recorded, that sort of thing. So that's basically when it began. Now, what kinds of things are you doing to practice and keep your chops up during the pandemic? Honestly, I haven't at all. Um, this entire time, um, I haven't... I literally practiced for the first time last night. Um, it's been three months since I played drums. So um, I live in a small apartment. I really don't have the space to have, you know, something that I can like practice stuff. I just don't really have it. Um, so, and since the pandemic too, I'm also working from home. So I'm fortunate in that regard. So um, I really haven't had an opportunity. So, when the time came to where I could get together with one or two, you know, people that were willing to, you know, social distance and be in a room together to practice, we, uh, we rehearsed last night. It ended up only being myself and our guitarist, Andy, from Stygian Crown. So we just started playing some of the stuff that we recorded. <laughs> and it's a bit rusty, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we actually practiced, but... The other thing I should also admit is that um, my rehearsal room is not exactly down the street, so it's not like I can just, you know, a couple blocks and, you know, start jamming. So it's like a 30-minute drive. So, um, yeah, it's not convenient to go there um, if I just wanted to go on my own. So there was that as well. Not to mention that there's just been so many compounded things. I mean, you start with the pandemic and then work issues. And then eventually, um, once that all started to kind of feel like it was a norm, then all of a sudden there was social unrest. And then that became 
another thing where it's like, you know, it's better to be home and to, to basically take care of my family and myself than worry about drums. So, um, that's kind of where it all kind of landed. I noticed the term candle thrower gets thrown around a lot in your interviews. Can you tell me right now, I guess, what albums or songs from Candlemass and Bolt Thrower you feel like you're channeling the most uh, at this point in time? I really couldn't say any specific songs, um, but I mean, honestly, um, I've been a huge fan of both those bands my whole life almost, so it's to us, it was like in the beginning when we finally had this lineup together, um, the only idea that we really had is that we wanted to play something in a more traditional sense of doom metal. I didn't want to do anything that had anything to do with sludge or had harsh vocals or anything that was like, ex- like extreme in that category. I wanted to be like Candle Mass, like Solitude Eternus. That was what I was aiming for. Um, and when we started writing the songs, it just, I think that some backgrounds of some of the people in the band themselves, they don't naturally just drift towards Black Sabbath. So when we were writing the songs in the beginning and to us, it was like, wow, this, you know, this, this totally feels like candle mask. And then we started recognizing as far as our overall guitar tone and, um, basically some of the some of the, the, the approach to some of the riffs that were done by both guitar players had this kind of bolt or kind of feel to it. And, uh, so we kind of embell once we kind of recognized it, we kind of embellished it a bit. Um, honestly, I think that, um, I think that some people might not necessarily see the correlation with bolt or, but, to us, it's it's very it, it stands out to us, and and I mean any kind of creative outlet is an interpretation. So um, in this regard, I think that as far as um, how we're writing these songs, that's just how we envision it. And maybe now that we've established ourselves as a band, um, we can basically kind of view some of our strengths and then kind of embellish on those now, since we kind of feel like we have, you know, more of a, a stance on what we're doing. Um, but I mean, the candle thrower thing too, was really not, it wasn't intentional. We didn't like decide this is what we were going for. It just kind of happened that way. And in some aspects too, our, some of the guys' backgrounds too, kind of lean more on the extreme side of things than they do again on traditional doom metal. So I think I'm the only one that really has a long term background in doom. So everyone else is kind of like, you know, inputting their own kind of, you know, ideas into it to make it what it is. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of doing this anyway, is that sometimes intentions or not, you know, it's the creative outlet again as an interpretation. Can you describe the moment when you realized Mark Kelson would be the right person to mix and master your album? And like, what kind of like back and forth conversations did you have with one another describing your vision on how you wanted the album to turn out? Well, I mean, in answering that, I have to I have to explain my relationship with Mark. Is that Mark and I are pretty good friends. We're pretty close friends. So him and I have been in contact with each other for numerous years, you know, a few decades at this point. So, um, him and I basically 
he, I, I think that, I think the first conversation about it was, is when he heard the demo, he was upset that I didn't give him the songs to mix. And, um, I jokingly said, you know, Hey, you know, you're on the other side of the planet. You know, I, I mean, how am I going to be able to mix something with you out here so far away? And, you know, we, we basically just kind of, you know, kind of joked around with each other about it, but he was really serious about, Hey, I, I really want to work on these songs. So he was even offering to remix the demo, which I was adamant about not doing because, um, we kind of felt that, we could always just re-record the songs and make them a bit better than they were on the demo. And then by giving all these songs at once to one person in order to mix and master, um, you know, it's one fresh thing. So I think that, uh, I think that he just basically said, I'll do it. And I told him that, okay, but the, the only caveat to that is that you had to, uh, you had to do some both vocals and some, you know, you had, to, you had to contribute some kind of musical something to, to it in general, you know, a guitar solo, something. So, you know, he laughed and agreed. And then, you know, pretty much, you know, he, it, it, honestly, it really wasn't much of a conversation. <laughs> we just basically it was like, I want to work with you. I want to work with you. Come on, let's do this. Let's make it happen. So that's what happened. Okay. Following that up, I adored the dark and foreboding narration by him at the start of Two Coins for the Ferryman. Please tell me about the introduction and what it was like composing that song. Um, well, when we first were, the, the main riff was something that Nelson had, uh, Nelson on guitar had come up with. And um, it kind of took a little bit for us to kind of figure out how we were going to start it. And then um, also, too, it was like it was kind of difficult as far as what kind of speed we were going to go with it. Um, again, with this band, we're not trying to, um, we're not trying to like be that archetype of doom metal where you have to follow every single one of these, you know, traditions in order to be that band. That was really not our intention. We wanted to, you know, walk our own path. So in that regard with this song, when we started writing it, we just liked the up tempo of that riff. And to me, it also kind of felt more of a traditional hard rock song in a sense, at least as far as the structure goes. So drum beat too, just the way it, it has this kind of, in my opinion, anyone else could have their own, but in my opinion, I just feel it, it kind of had this kind of, um, Led Zeppelin kind of, you know, kind of, you know, feel. And when, we put the song together and we had all the structures together. We had everything together. Melissa started um, writing all the vocal ideas for it. All we really had an idea for was what the song was going to be about. And um, once she started writing the lyrics for it, she came up with pretty much all the nuances of what became not just the vocal ideas, but also what that intro became. All of that was completely her idea. Um, as far as Mark, um, doing the reading, how Mark did the, um, did the actual spoken part, um, with the, you know, the, um, you know, little nuance, the little, you know, what background he added to it all. That was all him, but the whole intro in itself, that whole thing that he read is, is was straight from Melissa and was straight from the idea of the song. So, and it also too, in my opinion, the song felt like it was a closer. It just had that, that kind of 
you just had that kind of feeling and, and it was cool having this intro to go right before it. It just made it all work. It just really did, in my opinion. Now, you re-recorded Trapped into the Earth through Divine Right and Flame Tongue that were originally on your demo. How did you want to change up those songs? And personally for you, did you like any of those songs better on the demo versus the album? It's kind of cliche to say, but I, I definitely like the album versions better. Because it felt like, um, especially with Through Divine Right, when we did the demo, it was already recorded. Like, all those songs were already recorded before Melissa ever was in the band. There, it was months until she came into the band after that initial recording. So when she came in, this is what she had to work with. So if we wanted to extend moments, we couldn't because it was already recorded. So when she came in and did the vocals, we're like, you know, it would have been really great if there was more breathing room in this, in this moment, you know, there's a little bit more instrumental less. So she has a moment to kind of build to those vocals. So in that regard, um, I like that better just because it feels like the songs flow better. Um, also performance wise too, because we had been playing those songs for quite a bit. So when we went back in to re-record them, I, I definitely feel like um, we were more comfortable with them. Um, but it, it also, another thing to say too, is that we didn't want to just leave those songs as demo songs and not have them on the album. They just really, they really needed their, you know, they really needed their day to shine. So that, that's why we did them as well in that regard. We wanted to have them on the album. Um, but I, yes, I do feel that they are better than the demo version. I've seen in a past interview that you spoke about um, using a sound stage to record a live performance, perhaps this month. Can you tell me about uh, what the idea is for that, and maybe any interesting rarities or a cover song or something? Okay, well, how that's working out is that we have a friend that has a sound stage, and he has um, sound gear. He has basically a, it's a studio. So he has studio gear there. So we have the ability to mic everything, um, everything. So um, it's not just like a live sound. It's a studio recorded sound. Um, literally studio mics, you, what have you. And we also have another friend that's a cinematographer that she's actually worked with um, my old band, one of my bands, um, in the past and she's handled the photography for this band as well as a few other bands of mine as well. And, um, she basically is going to run five simultaneous cameras, um, of E over each person. And we're going to play the songs live, um, through this record, you know, through the soundstage. And then she's going to edit it all together. So in a sense, it would be like the idea, I should say, the idea is that it's, our goal is, is for it to be a professional video. So, um, like imagine like, um, imagine a, a live video that you've bought of your favorite band, just remove the audience. That's basically what we're trying to do. We want to have the best quality sound that you can get as well as the best video. And we felt that if we were going to take the time to record something in that regard, why not go all out? You know, why, why do it half-assed and, you know, have an okay sound and okay video? If you're going to spend the time to do it, do it right or don't do it at all. So 
that's primarily what we're doing with that. As far as we haven't decided on what songs we're going to play. Um, there's only so much that you can do in a live forum as well. Um, so we, we are going to try to limit it, not try to play like everything that we've ever had. So we're going to handpick some of the songs from the album and we do plan to do a cover, but to be honest with you, I really don't want to say what it is, but I will say that it will definitely, it'll definitely be fun to do. So hopefully people, hopefully people will respond to it, uh, in a, in a positive way. But I, if it all works out, then, you know, you're hearing it from me now that hopefully it, it will be what we want it to be. So, your guitarist Nelson contributed to the recent quarantine shred event. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, um, we have a close friend within the community, um, Adrian, that passed away um, recently, and it was really sudden. And we just kind of hit everyone. Just, just it just hit everyone really hard. And he's an amazing photographer and videographer. And I don't know how many shows that he's videotaped, uh, shot photos of, of so many different shows and bands of my friends, myself. Um, you know, he's, he's a, he is a pillar of this underground community in, in Los Angeles, this bottom line. And one of the guys that, um, that used to be in Gravehill, his name is Christian LaRocca. He basically decided that he was going to record um, a song dedicated to him. And he got as many people that, you know, could contribute to it and basically in solidarity to Adrian. So Christian, it's, it's just funny because hearing that song and seeing all the people that are involved in it, I, I know 90, 98% of the people that are on that, you know, I personally know them. So, um, it was really awesome the, just to see all that come together. And as well as just, just the fact that he took the time to do that for him, it was just, it, it, you know, it was just the, it was the most unexpected, but really incredible thing that he did for him. And at the same time too, you know, you can hear all these, all these different guitar players just shred away and that was pretty fun to hear just, you know, all these different kind of, you know, attitudes, you know, because in my opinion, when it comes to guitar solos, it's this personality that you're hearing. So it's, it, I don't know, I thought it was pretty great. What kind of proactive and innovative ideas have you seen in the SoCal area for the creative and musically inclined to, uh, I guess, to try to start rebuilding the music scene? Well, honestly, I haven't seen much of anything. Um, everybody that I know, the prime players of the promotional side of Los Angeles are waiting it out just as much as all the bands are. Um, I haven't heard anything because I mean, the primary thing that people are most afraid of is seeing that their favorite venues are closing because they have no way to stay open because you know, what else can they do? Right. And I think, I think that right now it's, everyone is just waiting this out. So, um, I don't know. I could speculate with you all day long, but, um, honestly, I, I know as much as anyone else. So, um, my hopes are that we'd be able to get back to it again, but you know, I really don't see a, uh, 
a solution until there's some kind of vaccination or something that's that's basically getting the medical side of this worked out. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could get together and try to do social distancing and whatever we can to try to make some kind of live event work. Um, I've seen videos of people doing shows where people are in cars like it's a drive-in theater and there's Doro Pesh playing a live show. So that, that's, that's awesome. But I haven't seen anything like that out here other than people just making videos, you know, something that people can see bands playing. But, you know, the, the thing about it is, is that when it comes to shows, it's not like one of those things where people go there specifically to see a band. Let's be, let's be honest. It's a social event. People go to that to be able to interact with their friends, meet new people and be able to socialize. So having some kind of way to, have a show happen where people are supposed to be distant from one another and wearing masks and all of that. I mean, let's face it. Has that really been happening on a normal basis in a lot of places right now? I mean, literally right where I live, there are people crowding beaches. So um, they're acting like nothing ever happened. So, um, you know, as far as a live show goes, I mean, I want to see it happen just as much as anyone else, but I really don't have a response to it. Can you tell me about your three biggest rarities in your music collection? Rarities in my music collection. Um, okay, off the top of my head, uh, have Trouble, Somnot, White Vinyl, Only 100 Made, First Pressing. Um, I bought it, jeez, 19, I, okay, I found it in a really crappy record store called Discount Records that haven't existed in over two decades, and I walked in there expecting that I wasn't going to find anything, and I found it, and it was still sealed, and I spent $2 for it, so there'd be that one. Another awesome rarity that I can think of is um, Captain Beyond, the first Captain Beyond vinyl. I found it in a pawn shop in Anaheim, California, uh, with a stack of other amazing records that my wife... That The cool thing about that Captain Beyond record is that it had a 3D gel on the cover, and any other versions I've ever seen of this album did not have that. And um, it was still sealed, and I think I spent like I think it was like two, two, three bucks. Um, I think the last rarity I have, um, the only other I can really think of at the top of my head is I, I have a test pressing of um, a Phobia record that Shane from Phobia gave me um, back in like 1993, 94, um, that basically he, he, I don't know why he gave it to me. I was just hanging out with him and he said here and handed it to me and I've had it till this day. So, um, (laughs) prayer I can think of at the top of my head. Minus like albums and stuff. What would you say is your most cherished possession that has to deal with music? Can you, Tell me your most cherished okay. possession that has to deal with music. 
the only thing that I can really think of right at, the, at this moment is an ACDC t-shirt that my wife bought for our dog before he died. That would probably be the most cherished I can think of at the moment. Would you like to go back to any questions? Um, I don't think so. I think we're good. Final words? Um, hey, I really appreciate you giving us the time for this, and thank you very much for it. Um, and what you're doing, this is you know phenomenal. And I appreciate the fact that you called me, and, and we didn't do this by email. So that was kind of nice. I appreciate that. Uh, again, like for real, man, I, I appreciate your time. Um, I, I really, really do want to see the metal scene keep going. And honestly, man, it's just like, I have like a SoundCloud account and it's just like, I always want to get new material for it. So thank you. <laughs>